0: Welcome back to the Feel Her Podcast. I am so, so excited that you are here today. And trust me, friend, when I tell you today, you are going to want to buckle in, sit back, and I think get some tissues too. Um, I mean, get ready to feel the feels and feel like I hope you lean into something and feel like a whole new person a little bit on the other side of today's conversation. Um, I'm super excited to introduce my second interview and my first interview of 2021. Uh, Her name is Lindsay Acton. Say hi. Hey, guys. (laughs) Lindsay is an educator of 14, almost 15 years Mm -hmm. with a master's degree, I think in education, right? Yep. Awesome. That's correct. She is now an author. Her book is Throwing Rocks, and it hit the stands in November. I devoured it in 12 hours or less. It was awesome. I'm so excited for you guys to talk about it. But Miss, Mrs. Lindsay is also a wife, a mom, a bonus mom. Fun facts are she's a swim- she was a swimmer at IUPUI during her undergrad and she is actually my husband's favorite English teacher ever. So, <laughs> please everybody for the Feel Her podcast
1: welcome Mrs. Lindsay Acton. Hi, thanks for having me. This is exciting.
0: Oh, I am so excited. Um I can't tell you. I know I have a ton of educators that listen. To this podcast that listen to or that follow me on social media and even in person I have a few quite a few educators and um, I'm really excited to just dig into this book and honestly even if you're not an educator a trauma survivor uh, and that's a hard word for even me to say and I'm excited to talk to Lindsay about that but this is just a really powerful book she had me in tears multiple times and my husband, you can even ask him, I didn't put it down for literally five hours straight and I'm a mom. So that was like, he had to pick up the slack during that time. He's like, are you going to put the book down so you can help me make dinner? And I was like, one more page, <laughs> just one more. And he was like, I can see you on the next page. <laughs> so it's a must read and it's a quick read and it's really good. Um, let me pull, I didn't pull up, our, I didn't pull up the questions guys. Uh, let me pull up our questions here and let me, let's get started, right? You guys have to under know what's going on. So first of all, Lindsay, thank you for writing. Thank you for sharing this story. Thank you for the work that you do in education, especially for as long as you have done it. I know a lot of people um, that I work with in the network marketing business that have left education for a lot of the reasons why, you know, normal, um, whether it's not a lot of it is money. It's usually the demand, like the, yes. how they're treated and how they're seen. And I will, I think you said that in the book, but that's definitely the, edu- the teachers that have left that I've spoken to. Um, it's not usually the money, it's something else. Um, but I almost, want-
1: almost always, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's crazy because it's not like you guys make a lot of money either, right? Mm-mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want you first, before we get into the questions I have for you, um, I want you to share with everybody, you know, a little bit about
1: the book um, and then why you wrote it and share a little bit about yourself. Okay. Thanks again for having me. This is exciting to be able to talk about it. And, um, in, in a million years, I never thought I'm going to sit down and talk to one of my former students' wives on her podcast. So I am thrilled to death to be able to, to re kind of connect with you and to connect with your your husband and, and to just kind of keep that, um, Together, it's really exciting for, for me. It's like a full circle moment. Um, but yeah, so about me, I am a this is my 15th year of teaching. Um, I work currently at Brownsburg High School on the far west side of Indianapolis. Um, I teach 10th and 11th grade English, but for the then, this is the first time in my career I haven't taught seniors. Um, I was actually like moved to a new side of the building, new room, new subject areas uh, last spring right in the middle of covid so it was all of the change all at one time uh not a strength of mine but we are working through it so wow. um wow yeah right in the middle of all of that so it was fun um are seniors I, or
0: sophomores harder to work with
1: sophomores by far i thought so sophomore boys are in an interesting Human being. (laughs) They are just an interesting human being. Um, But we're getting through it. I'm adjusting. And I love my juniors and the sophomores. They are taking a little more time. (laughs) They're more of an acquired taste uh but we're getting there so um I have been like I said teaching for this is my 15th year um which is incredible to me um there are days when it feels like it has gone really fast and there are days when I think oh my gosh 15 years is a long time um I'm married to John who is sitting over on the other side of the room because otherwise I get nervous um we have <laughs> we have two sons, Jack is twelve he um is a middle schooler this year, so oh my gosh, yeah. um, speaking of weird people and <laughs> Andrew is five who and he is a wild man, but we're very blessed to have healthy, happy, really good boys in our in our house, so that's cool. um, you asked why I wrote the book and and <laughs> the truth is i I was always interested in writing something, right? Like writing is, I'm not very good at very many things, but uh, writing is one of the things I'm good at. And um, so when John and I met a decade ago, I said to him, you know, that I would have maybe an interest in writing a book someday. And So if you know my husband at all, you know that he does not allow you to share a dream with him and then just like not pursue it. That's just not in his, uh, it's not in his genetic makeup. So he, um, tricked me, uh, in the, in the spring of like 2019, um, found a way to connect me with a book publisher and we got on the phone and we started chit-chatting about, like what the process looks like to write a book. And, and I thought I was going to talk about something else education related. Um, and, and then all of a sudden this, this story that I wrote in throwing rocks just poured out of me and on the phone with this book publisher. And I just feel like God was like on my heart so heavy um, that night, like allowing me to, cause I'm not really somebody that, I mean, I spent 15 years or 13 years not talking about what happened. And all of a sudden I, here I am sharing it with a perfect stranger. And so um, it just felt like it was meant to be, so a few months went by and, um, we, I followed my publisher. His name is Tom Brew. Uh, he owns Hilltop 30 publishing. Um, and he also owns the Indiana and Purdue sites for football and basketball. So he works for sports illustrated, um, in that way, but he also does, runs a publishing business. And so he, uh, gave me the opportunity to write it. And, uh, we started in, we signed our contract in July of 2019 and then uh, I finished it right in the middle of, of, the beginning of COVID, you know, like in April, I sat down and wrote the ending and um, I called John upstairs and I said, I think I just finished the book. And he was like, you're kidding. And so I h- handed him like the last chapter and he was like, yep, I think you did it. And it was, it was, it was a really interesting so cool. process. but Was but the fun. last
0: chapter you gave him, <clears throat> excuse me. Was the last chapter you gave him 16 or the letter to yourself?
1: You're it was 16. It 16, was 16. Okay. And then I wrote the letter much later um, maybe like not much later, maybe like a month later. Mm-hmm. Um, cause my editor was like, we really need to do this and I was avoiding it. So <laughs> yeah, it took a lot more reflection, right? Yeah. It took a lot more, um, for me to sit down and really like, say, what would I say to my former self? Yeah. I loved that though. That was one of my favorite parts of the book for sure. I'm glad you liked it. It was, um, like I guess it was hard, but worth, worth it.
0: For sure. Okay, so real quick, just give a little breakdown of what a re- if someone has never heard of you, never, you know, not from <laughs> New Pal. Um, what would you? How would you describe the book to them?
1: Um, so the book is about a, a traumatic experience that I had uh, when I was a first year teacher. Um, we we had an a situation where we felt like we were unsafe in a school for a single day. Um, and we had sort of an uh, an extra police presence um, that day because we thought that we were going to maybe be in danger at the hands of one of our students, and um, and he, and, and he, and thankfully, I mean, you know, thankfully nothing happened at school. But um, later that evening, um, that student died um and he he died about 400 yards from my house and um and so we didn't know what had really happened and and through a lot of investigation and reflection and and sort of kind of putting pieces together with people we were able to kind of get to what really occurred and so the book is the story of that, but also, and I think more importantly, we talk about what it means to be a trauma survivor and what it means to be, um, and, and I really think it kind of gets to the root too, of what it means to be a young professional and, and what it means to navigate the professional world as a 23 year old, um, what it means to navigate the professional world as, as a woman, um, and, and what those things kind of bring to the table, which are, very different than what I was expecting. And so um, the experience that we had and and it was hard and it was scary and all of that was so transformative for me that, um, that it felt important to write about really the mental health piece of it more than anything else that, you know, you can, that there is another side to trauma, that there's another, you know, there's more waiting on the other side of that if you can just kind of power through it. So that's kind of what the book's about.
0: Yeah, one thing that I have to say that I I really love the the way that you wrote this book, because the first part is literally the story and like the nitty gritty of the the details. And so you're sucked into that. And then you switch over to this like, but here's this inform this powerful information about mental health and this powerful information about if you're a young teacher and what you need to do and how you, you know, what you need to pay attention to and all of that that part to me, I love personal development. Like that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. That's why I yeah. started this podcast. Um, so I was I soaked that up just as much, especially as like I said earlier, I'm a trauma survivor as well. So um that was amazing how you told the story, got, you know, it was awesome, and then you helped us out. Like here's some things that you can do, some you know, we and some just things you brought attention to. I love mm-hmm. that you brought attention to how you really trusted that mentor as a woman, as a young professional. And he eventually did end up taking advantage of it. despite you know, like that's a, a young professional as a woman, as a woman, you're going to probably encounter that once or twice in your lifetime. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, yeah. but you also talked about, uh, you just talked about a lot of things in there. So, uh, I just, I love it again. Highly recommend it. So first, first, of the questions about the okay. book. Right. All right. We'll sure. dig right into those. Um, At the age of 23 is when this book started to take place, our first year of teaching. And early on in the book, you said you had absolutely no coping skills, quote unquote. Um, And I think you even hinted at realizing by the end of your first year, a lot of adults who have age and even experience over you didn't really have coping skills either. So what is something that you want to tell a first year teacher teaching during this COVID-19 pandemic about developing healthy coping skills?
1: I think you really have to, as a teacher, you know, you're, if you're 23 and as a first-year teacher, you're, um, you're really grasping, right? You're looking for who your people are going to be and you're looking for who you're going to be as a teacher and, and how you're going to develop yourself as a professional. And it's really, really important to find someone, um, a mentor, um, a, a colleague, an administrator, someone who is going to um, to really provide for you advice in a genuine way. You know, you need a sounding board and you need, um, to be able to, um, to really find your, your people. The mentor that I had was an incredible, incredible friend. Um, the colleague who took advantage was actually a different, yeah, different person. Uh, no, that's okay. Um, I had Mark for, for a decade and, um, he, And I lost him in pieces over, over a period of years. And that's a, that's maybe like book two, but, um, he is, he was so good about making sure that like he would check in with me and, and, and he would say, you know, what are you doing that isn't teaching? Because teaching can be such an all consuming, uh, part of your life. And so he was very good about teaching me how to like set boundaries and, and, um, like take days off and he would make sure that like there were certain evenings of the week, he would say, go home tonight and don't do any work. And I would say, but I have to grade all this stuff. And he's like, but you don't have to do it tonight. Um, And, and so I learned how, I yeah, I, I learned how to, and that takes a long time. You know, that's not something that you develop overnight, but in your first year it's really important to find your people. And it's really important to find the people who have a genuine interest in, um, and and purely just sort of being there for you um, and, and unfortunately i had the opposite experience right i had a, a colleague who really just had a hard time um being nice and and doing the right thing and and her she definitely did not have my best interest at heart and so sort of made it my mission as a veteran I'm old now you know I'm like someone's mother you know (laughs) just an old I'm an older teacher now and so I've made it my mission to like be there for people in a genuine way and, and I think that that's the biggest thing you need to find is who are your people and who's going to be there for you in a genuine way and who is going to help develop you into the professional that you're trying to be. So I was listening to this book by
0: Mel Robbins. Uh, it's an mm-hmm. audio book called Work It Out. I highly recommend it that, that book as well. But um, she actually gave a suggestion to anyone interviewing. So this would be before, before first year um, to directly ask for a mentor that is, you know, maybe a couple of steps ahead of you or, you know, a couple, obviously multiple years ahead of you in that, in the education field, but maybe even a couple of steps ahead of you in, I don't know, pay or experience, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. but just in the interview directly asking for that up front and they're going to, so they can give that to you. Um, I thought that was really powerful. Obviously women of, we don't like to ask for things and we don't mm-hmm. like to ask for, even tell them what we actually want to make or anything like that. So that was I thought that was a little good piece of advice. And you just said like find people, find a mentor. Yes, setting boundaries is huge. And obviously as a first person, your first year, you're not gonna know the boundaries because you've never done it before. Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, it's and it, and if you let it, it will suck you in. Oh, um, and and it will do that. Even now, 15 years in, I'll get like really stressed about stuff, and and, and it's like why. There's no, you know, yes, what we do is important. Yes, we have to get these things graded. Um, But again, I think it's so important for us to let students and other teachers see us, right? Like, so when I say to my kids, no, your essays aren't graded, but your essays aren't graded because I chose my family this weekend, you know, and I'm always going to choose my family. I'm always going to get the essays graded but I'm always going to choose my family. And so it's important for them to see us as human beings and not these robotic creatures that just power down in the back of the room at the end of the day, that isn't who we are. Um, and so if we let them see us, then grace is given on both sides and that's very, very important.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Well, before I ask the the next question more towards trauma wise, but more towards teacher wise stuff, we're still talking about like that. Um, Okay, so your first your first year you're talking about how you you did you were you talk about this in the book, but how you did do that. You were a bit you put your head down and you worked all the time and that really consumed your life. Um was it the mentor that really made you see that? What made you change was it just experience and age? Um <laughs> for because for me as my so for me because personality wise, you and I are a little bit different. You're a people pleaser, I'm assuming. Um, yes. I am recovering. Recovering. Yes, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um I now don't get me wrong, I am so I'm a mom, I'm a woman, I still have those tendencies, but I'm more of a um, freedom type of a person. I'm an Enneagram 8 if that makes any sense. I don't know if you oh, like yeah. Enneagram. Are you a 2? My sister's
1: an 8 and I'm a 2. Yeah. You're a 2. <laughs> <laughs> totally a 2.
0: So I'm an 8 and see, I'm just a little bit wired differently than that. I just like um I've always felt since a young age, um, that F like, sorry, but F that fake BS. Like I just can't even, I don't like to fake it. So I have always come off as assertive and, um, harsh, but it's just really that I don't like inauthenticity at all. And I can see right through it. So I just really don't even like to bother with a lot of it. Um, but I do, I feel like a lot of inauthenticity, so much forced, um, in teachers, mental health wise is an issue. And I think it oh, always yeah. has been an issue.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Um, but shining a light on it like this, I do think is super powerful and it could change maybe a lot of people's or a lot of people's minds or wake people up, but, but not just like people on the outside, but like educators themselves, like, Hey, I do need to pay attention to myself. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, mm-hmm. like all
1: of set, for them to set boundaries. I think, you know, it's because teachers are sort of wired that like the show must go on. We have to, um, we have to just go and we put on this sort of like, we put on the show seven periods a day, you know? Um, So for like, from like eight to three, I'm on a, you know, I'm putting on a show, right? I, and I do it six times a day or whatever. Um, And so you get to a point where it's sort of rote and it becomes automatic and it, it, and it becomes Um, it does get easier. So like, you know, all these, all these young teachers out there who are like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to um, feel like myself again? You will, Uh, not this year if it's your first year, but (laughs) you will again. Um, But like you get programmed to just do and do and do and do for other people and, and push and push and push and push your own needs aside. And like, Why is that happening? And why is that something that is accepted by um, leadership? And why is that something that's accepted by parents? And why are we not extending the grace to these people if we're not, you know? you have to like, just like you're a mom, right? You can't be a good mom if you're not being good to yourself. And you know, if I don't go to the gym, then I'm mad at people. I wish like, people,
0: I wish more people understood that fact, but that is definitely a fact. True. I yeah. Guess. And it, you appreciate. can't
1: be, you can't be a good mom if you're not being good to yourself and you can't be a good spouse if you're not being good to yourself and you can't um, be a good teacher if you're not being good to yourself. And so why, and, and I don't think that there's any infrastructure in our country that um really, supports people's mental health because it's been stigmatized for so long as a sign of weakness and then especially when you add it to the female component of things it just balloons into oh she's just crazy or she doesn't have the ability to do this or she can't handle it or she's weak vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is strength. And when we allow ourselves to be seen and when we allow ourselves to be human beings and allow the people around us to be the human beings that they are, that's when magic happens. Not when we suppress our own needs so much that we're going to break.
0: Yeah. No. Amen. You're preaching today, girl. (laughs) I'm just soaking it in. Um, But on that note also, like, do you think maybe there's a little bit of ignorance on, for people on the outside, even the parents, maybe even leadership, because the teachers might not speak up enough.
1: Oh, definitely. Or
0: do you think like, it is like, we should just know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, what do you think? How do you think that could, how do you think we could bridge that gap, I guess, without obviously rioting and um, (laughs) protesting
1: or whatever. Causing craziness. craziness. I, I think people forget that like during the school day, I am teaching. So during the school day for seven straight periods, I am teaching. So I'm not responding to email. I'm not grading papers. I'm not planning lesson. I'm not doing any of that. I am teaching. So all of the rest of the stuff that makes that eight hours of teaching possible happens outside of that time. And so if I don't respond to an email and, and then occasionally I'll get an email from a parent and then an hour later, they're like, why haven't you responded? Because <laughs> because I'm teaching your child. My thing is, I think, I think,
0: well, I'm not an, I'm not an expert. Okay. But I, I read a lot of books. Um, Visibility. How, how can we, how can you as teachers make other people, the outside world, understand everything that you guys have, you guys, that's on your plate. Do you know know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's important because obviously no one is understanding or grasping and it's you're frustrated because you're like, look, I'm doing all these things, but they don't, they still can't see it. So how can you make that visible?
1: I, you know, I think it's really hard because until we, and, and this is a mindset change in our country, right? Until our country, the, the citizens of the United States of America can really learn to value teachers and really learn to place, um, sort of, and I don't know if it's a, a monetary value. I don't know if it's a sort of an, an, an internal, like intrinsic value. I'm not really sure where that value comes from. Um, but until that happens, every time a teacher says, but this is what I'm doing, it's going to be looked at as, oh, teachers are just complaining and whining again.
0: So maybe not word verbally, but ha- like, like showing a- like not actions, cause obviously you're doing the things, but mm-hmm. like, sh- how can you like, you know, think about I want to I think know. about that. Like, how could, you I know what it. I mean? I think that's important too. like, you're like, okay, they don't understand. So how can I, by not obviously adding a ton more work to my plate show by not verbally speaking, but show them maybe honestly, like, what if you like, and this is again, I'm not, I have no idea if this would have <laughs> any working at all, but like, what if you like emailed
1: your supervisor? Or, I don't, who do you, re- who's your leadership? So we have an interesting structure at Brownsburg and I like it. So I have a department chair that is my first line of, of sort of defense. Um, then I have a, prin- a building principal, um, and we have a superintendent. So we kind of go up the, up the food chain like that. And, and I think that they would say, um, you know, that they, from their standpoint, they know what we do and yeah. they, um, take care of us to the best of their ability. I of just course. don't, I, it, my biggest thing is I just don't think that mental health is ever a priority. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that and, – and how do you change that mindset? I'm not really sure because you look at what you can afford to do, you know, with a, a finite number of dollars every year. And that's a whole different conversation. But, um, But I don't know how you – get people to understand or, or it, because you can't force someone to understand something that they don't want to understand anyway. No, no of course not. But if but, for people
0: that would want to understand,
1: you know, that really do want to,
0: but maybe just don't, you know, that couldn't grasp it. This is obviously pretty off topic. So we're gonna have to get back <laughs> on topic, but I was just thinking, I'm just like, I'm over here. Like, okay, here's, I'm trying to come to defense for teachers right now. I'm you, like, maybe try this.
1: You're an eight, <laughs> you're a solutions girl.
0: Um, no, um, but no, mental health. Yes, yeah, I'm already like. So why can't we have therapists for teachers on staff? Like, why is that not a thing? Right. Um, because the therapists want to get paid a lot more than that. They would get paid. <laughs> right. Just like first year therapists, you know, like the, the criminal diver- the, you know, criminal defense lawyers, you know,
1: <laughs> the the like beginning ones.
0: Yeah, you know, it'd be better than nothing, right? I it would. Know. It would. Um. Okay. Okay. Now we're gonna switch a little bit more towards trauma. Okay um so i too also you described your uh defense defense mode your go-to is like turtle like you Mm -hmm. seek into your shell you need um protection you put up the walls but you called it perfect perfect denial which i really like because i just put my head down i'm like pretending it's not there and just go Mm -hmm. you know i'm going i'm working i'm doing the things um is that something that you have worked through mostly now? Like, is that a, you put that kind of defense mechanism on the back burner, or can you catch it when you, when it starts happening? Like, what do you do when you start to catch it?
1: Um, (laughs) I would say that, I would like to say that as a 30, almost 38 year old, um, that I can, that I can do a better job. Um, but sometimes I don't, you know, um, we've been, Hard things are just hard things, you know, and, and so avoidance is, um, it's easier and it, it, I can just pretend it's not happening and I can be like, "Mm, nothing to see here, you know, (laughs) like just look away. Um, and I try really hard not to do that. Um, but the other extreme of that for me is hyper productivity. Like, um, I'm either in my shell and I'm not dealing with anything or I'm up and I'm moving and I'm, um, and I never sit and I never rest. And I, you know, just, I have to go, 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 go and do this thing and that thing. And, or on, I'll need a project or, or whatever. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That's the phase I'm kind of in right now. Um, my husband is, um, we're facing a pretty severe, um, medical situation, um, in our family. And, and because of that, sometimes my, my mental health responses are like hyper productivity. Like I started painting the kitchen cabinets Mm -hmm. because I just, needed something to do to occupy myself. So when we're done with this, I'm going to change my clothes and I'm going to go paint. Um, because I
0: need that done too. Like you want to come over and we'll do it together. uh, Maybe,
1: maybe if Uh I get really anxious, (laughs) I'll knock on your door with my paintbrush. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, like, I think I am better at like, um, recognizing it than I used to be. Um, am I always better at pulling myself out? No, I, you know, sometimes I just, um, have to stick my head down and go, and I have to put the blinders on and just, um, just have to make it, make it happen, you know? Um, but I, I would say that I'm better at recognizing it and I'm better at going, I know I'm doing this. And then I have to like, talk to myself a little bit. Like you are in your shell. You have to talk to other people. You have to respond to emails. You have to, um, do the, and and I think having the book has really forced me to, to do things that are hard. Um, and, and I said this to John, I don't know, uh, last week, like I am so uncomfortable right now in every area, like of my life. And, you know, with, with the book and with, um, with teaching in a pandemic and with this health situation that we have here at home. And there's just so many things that I'm uncomfortable doing. Um, but I'm, he's helping a lot. You know, we're really leaning on each other to do stuff anyway, Mm -hmm. like, um, more, way more than I've ever done before. And I think probably the help of a good therapist and some, and some medication is, is really making that possible. Um, and I have no shame in my game to say that like I take anxiety meds, and I have since um, 2007 um, because of what happened. Um, I have what's called trauma-induced anxiety, but it's also the type A in my personality, the people-pleasing, recovering in my personality. Those things match together, but not always in really good ways, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. I'm also, like I said, trauma-induced anxiety, Um, Mm -hmm. but my, my, with my personality, I don't have the people-pleasing overdrive, but I have, like you said, the challenger, so I actually do that, I actually deal with the depression part as well, like that's kind of when I'll go hyper-anxiety myself into a depressive state, so I have to like, you know, okay, I'm like super, I'm not like bipolar, I'm not bipolar, I don't have like a manic state, but I'll have like an anxiety attack, and then overthink that, and then Go into it, but I the depression part has so a little bit of. I don't want to. uh, This interview is not about me, but my trauma part, my my traumatic experience happened in two thousand nine, November of two thousand nine. I was sexually assaulted twice, actually.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: By the same person um, (laughs) at my freshman year of college, and then because of that, I obviously retreated into my shell. The person was uh, in a circle. He was actually a volleyball player's boyfriend on the team. Oh my goodness. So they thought he stalked me after the first time. I mean, I had like hundreds of text messages and calls like hundreds and hundreds. And um, they thought that my roommate was on my team too. And um, she thought that I was welcoming these. So she had told, and I got suspended actually um, oh no. for misconduct uh, on, from the team. And I hadn't told anyone what had actually happened, you know, And, uh, I told my mom that he was stalking me and that she could prove it with, uh, the phone, the phone, like I had not responded. So she did that. And, um, my coach actually, she actually got my coach fired that year, (laughs) uh, dear, because of how he handled me and the situation, but needless to say the damage to the girls with the girls on the team was already done. And when the new coach came in, um, I was, I was already missing classes. You know, I, I had complete. I had no one there. I was four hours away from home. I didn't tell my parents. I begged them to let me come home on Christmas break, but they were like, girl, you're crazy. Like you've been working your entire life to be here. No. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so I wasn't failing out, but I would have been put on academic probation for my scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point I had to have a meeting and, um, my coach took my scholarship away. He didn't take it. I lost it. You know, I, I have to own that part of my story. He didn't, uh, he didn't know what was going on. No one, no one knew. I didn't tell anyone, so I had to come home, you know. But if none of that would have happened, Ryan and I wouldn't be married, and because um, we met in high school, we were friends. Okay. But like, so it just it, none of that would have played out. I wouldn't have a family I have now. So there are, you know, you said, goes. But I know the nothingness, you know, like the trauma, like all of that that brings, and it took me t- ten years to, to feel that, like, to get to the point to feel the, net, to let myself. I to let myself feel it. It took me a long time 10 years, almost 11 to let myself tell the truth because I had always, mm-hmm. without help, um, therapy told myself that it was my fault because oh. you know, um, I was dating multiple guys at the time. I was just that girl, I was the party girl, you know, I was just, I just thought it was my fault. So, anyway, it's taken me a long time to. Let myself feel the nothingness. So when you talked about that in the book, I would love to know the time frame where you lost. You know, you said it, you said you lost a ton of weight, and you, you. I did that. Like I don't know if you you followed me. I, I think you followed me for a little bit. So back in two thousand nineteen, you see. I don't know if you you can go back my Instagram, but I'm really skinny. I'm really you know. It's I'm really deaf in the eyes here. It's just I'm really pale. I'm like that's when that was my state. I had let myself thin. Finally, after everything that had happened like finally feel it. And I'm just curious how long it took you to feel that nothingness. And could you tell us a little bit about that and
1: your life? Yeah. So, um, sitting in those feelings is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Right. Like you, anyone who has survived a trauma knows that in lots of ways, there can be some delayed reactions to these things. Um, and, and I think it was a very, very long time before I was willing to even say the word trauma out loud um, and to understand that um, that is in fact what happened to me and it happened to the people who were all involved in, in what we were doing. And so um, I um, I think it was four or five years after everything happened that I finally, uh, sought the help of a mental health professional. And I sat down and she, and and you can read this in the book. It's like chapter 12. Her name was Trish. Um, she saved my life and you'll see in the book, the dedication of the book is to her because, um, she saved my life. And, um, I sat down and she said, why are you here? And, um, and I just looked at her like, why are you here? <laughs> you know, cause I wasn't quite ready to, um, to own it all, but she, I mean, she would talk to me through these things and she would, um, she, and, and finally just would force me, not force me like in a just the time with her forced me to um to really sit in those feelings and and to go um to walk all the way through them instead of putting up armor and saying this didn't happen to me or this wasn't trauma or I could have done more um or I could have you know, change this situation in some way. And it, it's been a long, long process to really realize that no human being is that powerful, right? Like there's nothing that I could have done. I did everything that I could do with what of the information that I had at the time that I had it in the life experience that I had to bring to the table at that time. And so um, for five years, I just would run on a treadmill, run and run and run and run and run. Um, and, and I would... Um, And I would say that I probably, when I eat, probably have a little bit of problems with eating in terms of like my gut reaction with anxiety is that I don't want to eat and I don't want yeah, to, um, and I just like, I will lose a ton of weight and I can lose it really, really fast. Yeah. Um, I wish I could have lost it like that after I had a baby. Same. Um, yeah. Not, Where not are you this, yeah, come on. Um, the <laughs> let's go. Um, like the chocolate cake just piled on the pounds then <laughs> instead of <laughs> taking them off. It was, this is what happened the first time I did this. It is really disappointing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it was, it was a good five years, maybe even more before I was like, okay, this happened to me and I have to do something different. Like I have to be like, there's gotta be a way to, to get to the other side. You know, what is the other side going to look like for me? Am I staying in teaching? Um, am I staying in this marriage that I, so I, fun fact, uh, was married before. Um, uh, but not for very long. I was married for one day shy of three years. And, um, and it was, a thing. Like it was a whole but thing. So when Ryan,
0: like when Ryan and I got together, I it was right when that I believe, I think that had just happened. Probably. And I, I did not have a good, I don't have a good taste in my mouth for the the other person. Oh, me either. <laughs> um,
1: so, <laughs> just put, that, just put it that way. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Um, so that was really difficult because he, um, so on top of what happened at school and on top of teacher trauma, I had a a. a a drug addict for a husband. And I had um, another colleague at work who was struggling to be appropriate. And I had, uh, my mom went through um, a a severe uh, health crisis. She had cancer. Um, So what Trish helped me understand when I finally was willing to sit down and like, feel the feelings was that I had something called compounding trauma. You know, when you have one difficult experience after another, um, those things can become really problematic really fast. And so, um, like I said before, she, she totally saved my life. Um, she would let, she would say to me, like, this is not your fault. And it, it was really hard to hear that Mm -hmm. because you talk yourself into thinking, that it is your fault or that you could have done something more that in some way, shape or form, you are not enough. Right. And I think that's a very female uh, reaction to things and a very female response to stuff. Um, So often women have a tendency to, to say ugly things to themselves our and self-talk would, is something else yes. sometimes, girl. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so she taught me how to say nicer things to myself.
0: And I mean, I, the, our male counterparts don't struggle with this as much. Don't get me wrong. Some do. I'm not saying that depression in males is not a thing because it is. Because it um, is. For sure. Absolutely. I'm just saying I do feel like self-talk is a lot more negative, is a lot more common. Negative self-talk is a lot more common in, in women than it is in, in our male counterpart. But you have kind of already did this uh, or said this, but um, can you share, maybe the person listening right now is also some kind of trauma survivor like both of us um, and has no clue. Like maybe she's stuck in that like nothingness that we were talking about and doesn't even barely, is barely recognizing it or she's just starting to. And you, you've you talked about how Trish changed your life, but ongoing behind or beyond Trish, how important has therapy been to you? Because I talked on the fear episode last and I was like, I'm not a therapist. Like I love this podcast, but like you got to get some help professionally to heal that heart. So how important is therapy to you?
1: Oh my gosh. Therapy is, um, I would go every day (laughs) if I could go every day. Um, and, and the therapist I have now is, is really good. Um, there will never be another Trish. I, um, I lost her. Um, what I thought was part of the way through seeing her, but, um, it wasn't, it was the end for us. Um, she had a a, a reoccurrence of breast cancer and, um, she thought she just had like a little bit and it was not a little bit. And I think she was sicker than maybe even she realized that, that she was, but, um, but I will never in my, like, I'm a big, um, believer and a big proponent of, of saying when you're grateful for things. Um, because I think when you express gratitude and you put that out in the universe, you get things back twofold, um, the way that, you know, God intends you to get those things back. And, um, and so when I was able to sit down with her and when I was able to, to really process what happened to me, Um, even in my childhood, you know, um, we can't that's a whole different ball of wax, but um, (laughs) even Yes. yes, um, so when I was able to process those things, I was really able to like be healthier. Now, am I always perfect? No, do I make terrible decisions sometimes? Yes, am I a human being? Also, yes, um, does but but if I have someone holding me accountable like a therapist or um or even just like a strong female you know counterpart or even a strong male counterpart or if i have my husband saying to me like here this is what we need to work on this is what we need to do and we're doing it together as a team um all of those things together um when you find your people that's when you can really thrive but in order to find your people you have to find what's in your heart and and really pursue that. And I would say it took me 35 years to make that happen.
0: I will say, uh, what I like you just said, um, finding your people, I think it, it calls you to be, uh, it calls you to be truly authentic. And you said, you talked about authenticity in your book. When I mm-hmm. first, we both, we share a love for Brene Brown. I'm also Ugh. obsessed with Brene Brown. I love her. Girl. Um, her book dare to lead. I read it in 2018 changed my life for sure. Um, Brene Brown and Mel Robbins have like been my low key therapist. I see a therapist, but just not as often. So when I don't, you know, I'm just all up in their stuff. Um, but I think that to find your people, to truly find your people, to truly get an intimate relation, a deep relationship to where you can thrive as a human, which is our goal, obviously, but I don't think you can do that unless you're being your authentic self. Yeah. Unless you're bringing your authentic self to life in the present. 100%. And I don't, I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, even, even older generations, I don't think it's my, I don't think it's a millennial thing or like a younger people thing. I think it's all generations. I don't think have ever been said, like taught that or like know that or, you know what I mean? I feel like that a lot of them are stuck in this like place of unwanted, wanted
1: change. Yeah. Or fear, you know, of, of, of judgment or fear of rebuke from other people and and, you know, as I said before, I'm a recovering people pleaser, right? And, and I have learned that pleasing my parents or pleasing uh, my husband or, or it, it is none, none of that matters as much as making sure that I'm okay and in my heart and that, um, and that sharing who I really, really am with people is the most important thing that I can do.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. So brings us back though, because you talked about a little bit ago in chapter 12 and all beyond the whole book after that. Okay. Mm-hmm. You tend as many women do. And like I did earlier, I said it earlier, like mm-hmm. you tend to downplay the trauma. You're, you say, you know, I didn't die. I didn't get shot at. I didn't, you know, nothing actually happened to me. Um, but it was still a traumatic experience. And even when I'm reading the book, it was traumatic for me to go through, read it through your lenses Um, so, but you tend to downplay that a lot, which like I said, as women, we normally do. So why do you think that is? And how do you think you and I, like just on this level, I don't want to get too big, but you and I can change that for like, I want my daughter. I don't want, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want her to downplay anything about herself or anything that happens to her. I don't want her to be dramatic. Like her dad, love you, babe. (laughs) but you know what I mean? I I do want her to be authentic and true to herself. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, you know, why do you, why do you think that is? And how do you think we can change
1: it? I think women, um, have this tendency to be the people who think that like, if, if they don't hold it together, nobody else is going to, and that's just not the truth, right? Um, there are, there are dishes in my sink right now, And my husband is going to do them. He is going to do the dishes. Um, because I've done the dishes the last like four times in a row and it's his turn. And he, I was getting ready to go do them. And he was like, just go, I'm going to do them. Um, and which is so great, but it's like you have to learn how to accept that. Like I wanted him, I wanted those dishes done three hours ago Yeah. and they aren't done. And you know what? That's fine. They're going to be done they're going to be done. And so how does that relate to downplaying? I, I think that women have this tendency to, again, believe that they are, have to be the ones who hold everything together and that they have to be the ones who, um, uh, do the dishes, you know, the or martyr. they have to be the martyr. Yes. That's exactly the word I was not able to find. Um, but like you have, and, and there's no need for that, right? There's no need I do not need to be any anyone's victim. I don't need to be anyone's none of those things. Is my house a wreck? Yes. You are we are you are looking at the only clean corner of my house right now. Um <laughs> you yep. can see it that our listeners cannot. No, um exactly. but like Ashley's in a closet y'all. So it's just how it is. Um but like when you are martyring yourself, you are sacrificing pieces of who you really really are in order to embrace this victim mentality and you don't need to do that you have to instead say the dishes didn't get done today and that's all right because or the dishes didn't get done in this time frame that i wanted them to be done in you have to relinquish some control right um women have a tendency to want to like control everything or to, you know, be the puppet master of their lives. And, and, and sometimes I think what you really have to do instead is say, it's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. You have to release some of that and you have to, um, but what you also have to do by releasing that is own that nothing is going to be perfect ever right? Like if, if I'm going to downplay what happened to me, like I have, I have a a little bit of a, you know, my husband will say this to me, like you need to stop being so self-deprecating. You know, I have sold almost 400 copies of my book. Girl, get it. Yes. (laughs) In a month. And so like, he'll say to me like, Hey, you're ordering like tomorrow or the next day, we're ordering a second run of books. And that's a really exciting thing. Why am I downplaying that? I knew, I knew exactly. I knew you were going to
0: do that. Cause same thing. I did the same thing when I started the podcast, unheard of almost. I mean, obviously there's some huge brand names out there, but we had, um, we had 500 downloads in the first month, which is huge. And we're way past that now. And I, didn't celebrate was just Ryan's like, are you not happy about that? And I was like, of course, I'm excited. But like, it's not that cool. You know, I could have done better. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: Why do we do that? And it's like, I want to feel good. <laughs> I wanted to feel good. Yeah. I want to well, own that. Like my best, one of my best friends is a doctor and, um, and I'm always like, I, you know, like you're a doctor. I just teach kids how to read for a living. No, I don't. Yeah. stop. I don't just do seriously anything. And so she, um, she said to me the other day, she's like, Lindsay, you wrote a GD book. Like you wrote a book. And so, um, like a whole one, she was like, and, and you didn't print it off on your computer at home. Like someone published it. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Barnes and Noble. You can do all these things. And, and I, because I think women are the people who hold things together, I also think that women are the people who downplay their own achievements because they're busy lifting up the other people around them. Yeah, right? like I'm busy lifting up my kids, and I'm busy lifting up my husband, and and why am I not lifting up my freaking self? Seriously, if Ryan would have done that, like had that, or you know, that male counterparts would have had that, they
0: probably would have went and had some celebratory drinks, some champagne, yeah. maybe took us pop out, pop in a bottle, pop in a bottle. <laughs> Having a steak. Uh, yeah, you know? t- grilling me a steak, some yeah. shrimp cocktail, maybe some Harry and Izzy's or St. Elmo's. If you're not yes. from Indiana, you probably still know about St. Elmo's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you need to know about Harry and Izzy's too. Because it's good. great. <laughs> it's just interesting, I think, to like, to be a woman and to redefine your role as a woman in like this 2020, 20, you know, this, this 21st century, this... Um, this culture of where women are so often now working outside the home and they're, and they're raising families and they're doing all these incredible things and nobody like, they're just going, mm, yeah, I'm downplaying what I do. Why are you downplaying what you do?
0: Yeah. I don't care guys. If you're listening and you're a stay at home mom, please don't downplay that because you are the CEO of that household. You are the meal prepper, the grocery shopper, the chauffeur, the cleaner, the maid, you do a lot of things. And so that Listen, was I could thing. never do
1: that. I oh could my never
0: do that. Yeah, trust me. This has been a lot. Of, a, it's been a, been a test, test to my character. But mm-hmm. I think that's why Jesus put me in this position for this long, Oops. really getting all of the back, the behind the scenes in order for the next phase of life. So that's
1: exciting.
0: Okay. Last two questions. Last okay. two. When's the next book? Because <laughs> I read this and I told Ryan, I was like, I hope she's writing another one. In, I need to know about <laughs> the, I need to know about the, the divorce, the childhood. You, you never talked about your dad. Um, you know, I need to know about all the kind of things, like uh, the new life, all, you know, everything you're going through right
1: now, all this stuff. So when's the next book? Um, probably 2022. I love it. Um, yeah, the, (laughs) my, my editor said this morning, um. Well, I, I had a really great experience yesterday. I had someone buy the book, um, and she read it and then she wanted four more. Um, oh, that's so cool. it was so awesome. And again, like that's awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not diminishing that because yeah, so what cool. a cool moment. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, she's when I, when I delivered the books, I, I took my little, my youngest son with me. Um, we masked up and we went to her house. We didn't go inside, yeah. you know, we're, we're pandemic friendly people. Um, but We, uh, we delivered the books and she said, I just need you to keep writing. Yeah. And I was like, really, (laughs) thank you. It was just the kindest compliment. And, uh, so I said that to my editor this morning and he was like, well, then we need to sit down and figure out what the next one's going to be. Um, we know there's going to be a next one. Do we know what it's going to be about? No, um, I have lots of ideas and I have like this little, um, spot on my computer where I keep some notes and stuff, but, um, yeah, I'm not really sure yet. I'm not, I'm not sure yet, but But I'm getting, we're getting there and there will be more. Good. good. There will be more. I'm excited. I will
0: definitely be reading and probably just a reader forever.
1: Um, Okay. (laughs)
0: Last question that I well, you're only the second, but I'm going to ask everyone and I will keep it in a file and people will be able to read, you know, click and read it if they want to. But um, what is a scripture or a verse that fuels your heart even on your hardest days?
1: Oh gosh. So when you when I read that question um and I knew it was coming, like started to cry um earlier today because I have just really started being intentional about reading the Bible every day. Um and and so um, I've been reading proverbs, and I it's right here. Um, I've been reading a lot of proverbs, but this um, just absolutely eviscerate eviscerated me in in proverbs chapter one, um, it's verse thirty three. It says, "But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm." And um, the no. story behind that is kind of is kind of that. I think I lived in such fear for so long that you put up defenses Mm -hmm. and you put up armor and you protect yourself in ways that are healthy or unhealthy um, and sometimes both. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's my 37th year that (laughs) of life that I finally understand that the only place that I am truly safe is in the arms of, of God. And, um, and that that is the place where everything starts. And, um, and I've always been a believer and I've always um, been a Christian and, and all of those things, but I was in a therapy session not very long ago. And, and you said, I never mentioned my dad. Um, once you did once I did. Yeah. And yeah, the, in the acknowledgements, uh, I think I have, and maybe this is, maybe this is book two. I don't know. I had a pretty, um, my childhood was really interesting. There was some trauma there, um, as well. And, and so what my therapist said to me was, you are safe with your father in heaven. Mm -hmm. And she said it like four times and i was like you have to stop like cuz i was getting ready to just lose it you know mm-hmm. um but i think that, that you live in fear for such a long time um sometimes as a as a trauma victim as a trauma i hate the word victim i hate it i know it. me too survivor Ugh, as a survivor yeah. um and someone who is is on the other side that when you really open your heart to to the promise and the love of, of Jesus, that, that, that's when you have real safety. And that's why that verse is so important to me.
0: Okay. Lindsay, I've kept you for enough of your time. I appreciate you so, so, so much. I still feel like I didn't even have, like, I still have one more. There was a quote I have to read. Okay. Okay. I have to read this. Sorry. Like, okay. Whatever. So I, there was no, there's a paragraph. Sorry. You guys, I have to read it from the book because, um I do think it kind of sums it up a little bit and especially Lindsay's talk and you know, just everything it's um, it's in, it's on page one forty one of the book. So what, what is this? What chapter is this? Maybe like chapter 13, 13. So this is in the teacher trauma chapter. Mm-hmm. So I think it's super really well. It says quote, I think not only are those changes allowing me to know and love myself better as a human, but I think perhaps more importantly that the changes have taught me to be a teacher. I would have never have been able to be if they hadn't occurred they have taught me to be a person in front of the classroom and not just a talking head they have taught me to encourage students in their own vulnerability and judgment in a judgment-free zone they have taught me that without this vulnerability the experience in the classroom is far less authentic and something i don't want to be part of as much as i do when the walls come down and the trust goes up i love that because i mean especially teenagers they need that
1: they do. And they need to know that there's, you know, because they're not old enough and they're not, they haven't matured enough to understand um, that the truest safest place is is with themselves, right. Mm -hmm. That they need a place that they can feel safe and that they can be vulnerable and they can be encouraged. Um, And, and I got to tell you, when I started allowing that to happen, with my students. And I think I thought I was doing it. And I think I say that, you know, in in the book, but like, um, when I really, really understood what it meant to step into my own vulnerability and share it with kids, man, magic, mm-hmm. magic yeah. has happened. And I, and I'm really glad I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for that.
0: I have to, I don't, I'm not a teacher, but I have to agree as far as, um, just reactions with my clients or Mm -hmm. social media talking to people connections I've made just through the podcast and all that kind of in different communities that I'm in it does it is magical I mean and you can't it doesn't until you do it it's not something that you can see a fruit of unless you take the action
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I had, a, I had to end it on that note. I think it, I think it wrapped up pretty well. But um, thank <laughs> you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the Feel Her podcast. I'll be praying for each and every single one of you, especially praying for you, Lindsay, as your family is going through that hard health is scare. And I know I have a couple of dates particular that I'm going to be praying for you for. So, um, you. everybody, also add her to your prayer list. Please reach out to her. Lindsay, tell us real quick before we go where
1: we can find you and where you can buy the book. Okay, so Facebook, um, you can look for the Throwing Rocks page on Facebook, follow us there. Instagram, Lindsay Acton stories. And then you can buy the book if you're interested, um, www.lindsayactonstories.com. Um, it can also be purchased on Amazon and through Barnes and Noble. Um, it's at every bookstore in the, in the United States through Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all of that. But, uh, the preferred method is through our website because there are some resources and some more information about our story and, and some ways to, to get in touch with us for speaking and and things of that nature. So, okay. um, I will link all of that. that. I'll
0: link all of that stuff in the show notes. So if anyone's listening to this episode, just go to the show notes and you'll be able to click on her website and get the book from there. So excited. Everybody, seriously, go buy this book. Again, thank you so much, Lindsay. And everyone, until next time, have a good time. Girl, I cannot tell you what it means to me that you are here and listening to this show. I am so grateful for you. And I just want to say that if you did love it or if it tugged at your heart at all, please feel free to share this with your friends or better yet, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so I can personally shout you out and thank you. Thank you so much for being on this journey, friend. Talk to you soon.